if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. In every spot, you either have a range advantage or you don't. Understanding that when betting, the percent of the time your bet should be a bluff is uh, depending on how large your bet is. I think the best strategy heading into a tournament is to focus early on observing your opponents. I think the most important thing is to have a sound pre-flop range. The moral of the story is that you've got to be flexible and you've got to be willing to adjust on the fly if need be. Greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are, as always, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at building our overall Texas Hold'em No Limit Tournament Paradigm. And so we'll get into the details of that, but really the question is how do we how do we take just a collection of individual tools and form them into something that actually feels like an overall tournament strategy where those tools are working together and we're optimizing our results that way. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We'll be hearing from Jonathan Little with PokerCoaching.com and Mike Schneider with the Poker is Fun Tour. And we also have recreational players contributing, Brian Soja, Taylor Moss, and Steve Olson. A couple of announcements. As always, I've got patches available. They're going out the door. I see them more and more. Cool pictures this week with Tristan Zeman and Brian Berthume. Brian was playing the MSPT, and his uh, his face and his patch was all over the place as he was involved in some big hands. And unfortunately, didn't go as deep as he'd hoped, but thank you, Brian, for, for representing the brand. I appreciate that greatly. And Tristan's been on a nice run. So his, uh, his face and patch have been everywhere. So thanks to those guys. And Tristan actually appeared in a uh, winner's photo for WSOP main event seat. So Tristan is now also in the drawing. Uh, just a reminder, if you are wearing a patch in a winner's photo uh, that's put out on social media, we'll get you in the drawing. And then once a quarter, we'll, uh, we'll draw that for 50 bucks. So we've got a, a few folks in that drawing already. I'd love to add you to that list. So thanks to everybody for wearing those patches. It's kind of fun to see and building the brand. And Brian uh, Berthew mentioned that out in South Dakota, they listen to the podcast and they like the interviews. And uh, so it's a good way to get people chatting about it and uh, tell others about it. So m- many thanks for that. Uh, let's give a quick thanks to Running Aces, and then we'll get right into uh, the discussion for today. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, as I mentioned before, I've been playing tournament poker recreational for probably about six years, and I feel like I've been learning strategies kind of piecemeal uh, as I've increased how much I play. I've been adding tools to the toolbox, but I often feel like I'm, I'm lacking an overall approach to the game. Like some of the tools that I have in different situations aren't really congruent with each other. Uh, like they don't necessarily fit into an overall strategy. And maybe part of this is personality, but I'm wired that I need an overall construct. I need a framework. Uh, I'm an INTP on the Myers-Briggs, which means I need to have this overall framework where I can say, okay, where do I hang that? Where do I hang that? How does that all work together? How do I optimize my strategy within the overall framework? So 
I am wired a little different that way, but uh, it's important to me to have an overall framework. And I think that's how we optimize a lot of our systems in life. And even how we optimize life itself is have an overall framework, an overall paradigm in terms of how we approach things. So I think it's true with tournament poker as well. And so the question that I will address, the question that I pose to our pros and recs is if they have a general overall strategy when it comes to tournament uh, tournaments, like like, is there something which all tools fit into and, and how would they describe that? And another way to think about this would be if you were advising a brand new player and you wanted to give them some high level overall strategic thoughts about how to approach a tournament, what would you say? And how would you have them start building their skills on that framework? So that's the question that I posed. Uh, my thoughts on this, um, as I mentioned, I've got, I feel like I've got all of these things that are are tools that I have established, that I've built, that I've worked on, but really independently. Things like preflop opening ranges, preflop three betting, C betting, check raising, floating and delayed stealing, all of those things uh, are tools that I've added, that I've worked on, uh, but I don't know that they necessarily work together. I don't feel like they're part of my overall overarching tournament structure. And so this is something that I want to be more intentional about building. What is my overall tournament approach? How do the different tools optimize that strategy rather than everything working independently? And so I'm really hoping that uh, posing this question and getting responses from some people and maybe opening the dialogue with some of you will help lead me in that direction to feel like I can establish an overall approach. So I think what I need to do is really, I guess the advice that I would have to others and the advice I have to myself is really start with the overall objective. And this is something that I teach about all the time. I recently was just in a, uh, at a conference of, of educators in Wisconsin, and I'm not an educator, but they asked me to come in and speak about innovation. And one of the things I shared with them is you have to know where you're going. Uh, innovation is really all about optimizing your strategy to get where you're going. Innovation is not an end game in and of itself. You really need to know what is your overall objective? What is the reason you're doing what you're doing? And in terms of tournament poker, what is the reason you play poker? Whether it's cash or tournament poker, I guess, but why are you doing this? I think this is critical to know where you're going. There's a great quote in Alice in Wonderland that says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And I think that's true in life. I think that's true in our jobs. I think that's true in tournament poker. So critical to do that. Uh, clarity is, is actually just crucial to this whole thing. So when you ask yourself the question, what's my overall objective? For me, my overall objective is to maximize my return on an investment as a percentage of what I've invested. So uh, my, although I want to have fun, that's not my ultimate objective. Uh, it's not to have the highest in the money percentage or how often I cash. That's not a concern to me. It's not to play the biggest tournaments against the best players. It's not to play prestigious events. It's not to try to put bad beats on people. Uh, it's not to show how tough or how smart I am. Uh, it's not even to make the most money. Uh, and that is different than the highest ROI. My single sole objective is to try to maximize my ROI. Now, that's not necessarily everybody else's objective, but that's mine. And I want to kind of go back to something I just said. If Some people, it's all about making the most money. So, for example, um, you could play $10,000 events and you could have an ROI of 5%. That means you're making $500 on each of those tournaments that you play over the long run. Or you could play $100 events, 
and have an ROI of 90%. In that case, you've made $90 on average every tournament you enter. So clearly, uh, playing the $10,000 events will get you more money. For me, my goal is to maximize ROI at this point in my career. So I'm playing the smaller buy-in tournaments and trying to maximize the ROI. So clearly, I mean, you want to maximize ROI no matter what you're what you're trying to play. But if I had a choice at this point, I would play the smaller tournaments and try to maximize my ROI just because of sort of my life objectives and things like that. So uh, really knowing what you're trying to accomplish is huge. Um, so one of the things I mention all the time is that I don't know how people can work toward a goal like maximizing ROI without tracking results. And I, frankly, I would love to have some people around to compare my in-the-money percentage and my ROI and my, my multiples of, of uh, investment conditional upon when I do cash and all of these sorts of things. But I've honestly yet to find anyone who tracks all of this that I can share uh, data with. So if, if you are that sort of person, feel free to reach out. Maybe we can share some data. Uh, I think it's just interesting to get insights on that. But anyway, if, if you need to figure out what is your personal objective, what's your overall framework, what's the overall reason for why you play poker. And for some, it is fun. And for some, it is to cash as often. Uh, for some, it's to play the biggest tournaments against the best players. Whatever your, your objective is, you need to know what that is. For me, it's ROI. And so if my objective is to maximize ROI over the long run, my strategy should support that. And I must play in a way that I feel will do that. So my goal, if it's ROI, is not then to win the most pots. I shouldn't be playing the type of poker that will win me the most pots or win me the biggest pots or try to prove anything to anyone or try to lay bad beats on people. My goal is to play and make decisions in such a way that will maximize my ROI. And that can be very different than winning the most pots or winning the biggest pots or proving something to someone or putting a bad beat on someone. Okay, so you really need to have clarity of your ultimate objective. And whatever you decide your ultimate objective is, that has to be the foundation for building your strategy. Everything you decide about your strategy needs to tie back to this foundational objective. And the second thing I want to mention sort of in this context is, in addition to having clarity of ultimate objective, I believe for this particular situation with, with poker is that you need to align your overall strategy to your personality. Now, I believe that it's just really hard to play like someone else. And I think we need to be able to do that from time to time. We need to be able to be flexible. We need to go against our natural risk aversion or whatever it is. But in general, I think your overall strategy does need to match your personality. Otherwise, you're going to be constantly conflicted. And it's going to be way harder for you to, to optimize your play if you're always playing in a way that's not consistent with who you are. So I would say if you're getting coaching or if you're learning from someone, consider making sure that you're aligned with your personality. So for example, if I'm, if I'm a very risk-averse player, you can make a lot of money. You can be a successful player by, by playing a tighter game that's more aligned with your personality, but then you shouldn't get coaching from people like Gus Hansen. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Um, if, if you are a, a much looser player, maybe you want to get coaching from someone who plays a much looser style, who loves sort of mixing it up a lot more and loves that, the, uh, the, the adrenaline rush that comes from playing a lot of pots. Okay, so consider getting help or training from 
somebody that's consistent with your personality. Because just some of us are more naturally risk averse versus some of us are more risk seeking. Some of us prefer high variance, some prefer low variance, some are passive, some are aggressive, some are loose, some are tight. And I think there there can be a strategic decision to play that way. But I do generally think there's a pretty high correlation between personality and the type of game that you play. So it's just a consideration as you're thinking about your overall approach to the game is uh, I believe that it's going to be easier for you to optimize your play if your type of game is aligned with your personality. Even though, like I said, I do think it's important to mix it up and play alternative styles. Part of it because you don't want to be predictable, but part of it is that helps you then understand what those types of opponents, how they might be playing. So I think it's still good to be flexible and be open. But I do think your default and your optimal strategy probably should fit your personality pretty close. So think about that deal because ultimately you're trying to maximize your ROI. At least that's my personal objective. And I think uh, aligning your strategy to your personality is an important part of of doing that. So the way that I'm wired, uh, if I really get serious about building this up and and developing a strategy that's, that's integrated with itself and matches my personality, it's probably going to mean taking an entire day away, uh, maybe even going away for two days and staying overnight somewhere, and, and just focusing and building this from scratch. Um, but I'm going to start with two key considerations, my ultimate objective and my personality, and everything will build up from there. Um, so basically what I'll do is probably create defaults for all of these things and then know that I need to be flexible in those. But um, Part of the building up, I think what I'll be looking for is what's my overall tournament mindset and what's my mental and physical preparation for tournaments and really getting serious about how do I prepare for tournaments and what mindset do I go into tournaments with? What tournaments do I play? What are the buy-in amounts? When do they happen? Like are they at night or are they in the afternoons? What are the expected field sizes that are optimal for me? What's my pre-flop strategy? My opening ranges, my limping ranges, my three betting, my four betting. What's my post-flop strategy in terms of when do I check? When do I see bet? When do I three bet? When do I check raise? Um, what adjustments do I make from, from all of these defaults when I consider stack sizes, opponent type, tournament situations, ICM considerations? Um, and also, I need to think about what's my optimal investor situation. I've talked about that on the podcast where I do have investors. Uh, should I have no investors? Should I be fully backed? Should I be partially backed? Uh, what sort of markup should I run? Uh, all of those questions, I believe, fit into making me an optimal tournament player uh, with an integrated approach where my general approach fits my personality. It makes sense with the investors that I have, my pre-flop, post-flop, my mindset. All of those things seem congruent with each other. And that's what I'm looking for. And part of that is my own personality. But I do think that's how you optimize things. That's the the whole idea of systems thinking is about taking everything into consideration and coming up with an optimal solution that works within the context of all of those things. And so as I think about that, another advantage of building this intentionality and, and having an integrated approach is that it would be much easier to figure out where the holes are in my game relative to my overall strategy. Or maybe at least where are those areas that it's, it's pretty cloudy and that, that I should be working on. For example, uh, if I have my, my overall strategy pretty solidified, but then within that context, I just can't figure out how to adjust to wildly aggressive players on my left, now I would know exactly what I need to research, uh, what I would talk to others about, or how, how I would even pay for some training or coaching. But it's targeted learning rather than just broad. I mean, because I could just Google, I could say, how do you play with a maniac on your left? 
and you get all kinds of advice. But it's, it's more specific than that. The question is, how do I play with a maniac on my left when I'm a very tight aggressive player or if I'm a very tight passive player or if my overall framework is this? Or what if I'm a crazy maniac myself? How do I play with another maniac on my left? Those are different, different reactions to having that kind of a player on your left. So I think you need to understand your overall approach yourself before you can really uh, optimize good uh, problem solving, good troubleshooting uh, for a specific situation, okay? But um, I, I do think uh, we consider getting paid training. I think uh, getting a group of people together to work on this might be helpful uh, to each build our overall framework and strategy. I just know for me, generally doing something like this, at least the first cut, is something I do with myself. I get in my head. I bring in research. I bring in input, but then I kind of work through it myself. But I do think um, a group of people working together on this could be huge, especially if you find people that have the same sort of general construct as you do. Uh, get a group of people that are all, um, you know, that, that love risk, that love high-variance games. Get together and talk about your strategy. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult to do it with people with other strategies, uh, or approaches or personalities. Uh, but I do think you can even learn from that process as well. You just have to recognize that you're, you're approaching it, looking at it through a different lens. So those are my thoughts on this. I, I do have a really strong desire to feel like I have an integrated, cohesive tournament strategy and, and an approach to the tournament rather than just a bunch of independent tools that I may pull out of the toolbox from time to time. So that's the goal for me. Uh, but let's hear from Jonathan Little with PokerCoaching.com, Mike Schneider with the Poker is Fun Tour, and then we'll take a quick break, and then we've got a few recreational players that want to share their perspectives as well. Hello, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com, and today's question is basically asking to be told how to develop a, an overall strategy or framework where you can use that framework to figure out what to do in every spot. And fortunately for you all, I've already made that over at PokerCoaching.com. You can go there and get a completely free seven-day trial. We have a ton of quizzes, but also a lot of homework questions that are very in-depth. It takes the students four or five hours to do these homework questions. I mean, it takes me an hour or two to do them, and I'm really good at this stuff already. So go there to PokerCoaching.com, check it out, get your free trial, and binge all the past homework webinars. If you do that, I can promise you you're going to have a really good framework for approaching poker. And the gist of it is, is that in every spot, you either have a range advantage or you don't. A lot of people don't even know what ranges are or don't know how to use ranges. Well, we'll teach you over at PokerCoaching.com. So if you have a range advantage, you almost always just want to be betting. And if you have a big range disadvantage, you almost always want to be checking. Okay, that's easy. What if you are somewhat neutral with your opponent? In those scenarios, you typically want to be betting with your best made hands and your draws, and you want to be checking with your marginal made hands and your garbage. Or if you're not the aggressor, maybe um, if your opponent bets, you often want to be raising with your best made hands and your draws and calling with your marginal made hands and folding your junk. Playing in this manner in general is going to make it to where your bets do not indicate strength or weakness and your checks do not indicate strength or weakness. It's very important that you do not make any part of your range obviously weak or obviously strong because then your opponent can play very well, right? Like if I just know you're never bluffing here, well, I just fold everything, right? So we teach how to do that at pokercoaching.com on every street and every scenario. And you'll very clearly know how to approach pretty much any spot you encounter. Now, you may not play 100% perfect game theory optimal, but you're going to play way closer to it than 
almost everyone you're going to encounter until you start playing $25,000 buy-in tournaments, which, you know, we all aspire to get there, but you're probably never going to get there. So that's really it. You have to start thinking in terms of ranges and you start having to think, where does your hand fall in your range? How does your range get partitioned? Because sometimes hands like bottom pair may be treated as a draw, and sometimes they may be treated as a marginal made hand. And it's really hard to know that on the fly unless you are actively studying the game away from the table. It's another thing. You have to study away from the table. If you just show up and play poker and hope to figure it out, well, you'll figure it out eventually. And eventually, everyone figures out every game if they have enough time. The problem is, if is it poker, the amount of time you'd need to figure out everything just from playing 30 hands an hour in a live casino are, is going to be something like 5,000 years. And uh, we're probably not going to get 5,000 years this time. So you have to study away from the table so that you know what to do in various situations before they arise. A lot of people hate studying. They think they don't need to study. Usually these people have ego problems. And you have to understand that you don't know what you don't know. And also, of the things you think you know, you probably don't know them as well as you should. It's important to be humble and realize you don't know much. I realize I don't know much. I'm constantly striving to improve. I am studying from the best players in the world because I know that's how you continue getting better. In all games, people get better over time. Everyone does, unless they're actively trying to be bad. We're not talking to those players. But if you're trying to get good, people are always getting better, and you have to make sure you're improving at a faster rate than your opponents. If you improve at the same rate, well, you're going to basically stay where you are forever. If you improve at a slower rate, they're going to catch up and pass you by. So uh, you have to study a lot. I can go on and on about how people learn games, but we're not going to do that today. Anyway, that's pretty much it. To develop an overall framework, think about how your range fares against your opponent. If it's somewhere neutral versus your opponent, you want to start thinking, where does it fall in my range in terms of premium made hands and draws, which you typically want to be aggressive with, and then marginal made hands and garbage, which you typically want to be somewhat passive with. Obviously, things change as stack sizes increase or decrease, hand values change, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, we teach all that at PokerCoaching.com. So check it out. Let me know what you think, and I'll talk to you next time. Hi, this is Mike Schneider, or some of you may know me as Schneids. You can find me on Twitter at SchneidsPoker, S-C-H-N-E-I-D-S, Poker. I'm also the founder of the Poker is Fun Tour, which can be found on Twitter at P-I-F-T-Poker or on the internet at piftpoker.com, in which we are going to be having uh, some more events coming up in a couple months of summer. I'm excited to talk about them pretty soon now. But yeah, on to the question. I'm going to focus on a couple specific things that I think have really helped my No Limit game. Uh, I'm sure some of the other guys talk about some other things, but I thought I'd narrow it down to like three main points, which number one is, Understanding that when betting, the percent of the time your bet should be a bluff is uh, dependent on how large your bet is. So basically it's one equation in which it's the size of your bet divided by the size of your bet plus the size of the call for the opponent plus the pot size. So let's say we're going to bet half pot on the river. That'd be 0.5 divided by size of the bet 0.5 plus size of the call 0.5 plus the pot, which is 1. So basically we're at 0.5 over 2, or 1 over 4, meaning if we're playing Game Theory Optimal, we should be, if we're betting a half pot on the river, our bet should be a bluff 25% of the time. 
So then combining that equation with a second equation of when we're facing a bet, percent of our range that we should fold, so that's a little simpler equation. That's just the size of the bet divided by the pot plus the size of the bet. So now let's say it's that same uh, half, half pot bet on the river. We uh, now are 0.5 over 1, which is the pot, and then plus 0.5, which is the size of the bet. So our, our equation for there is 0.5 over 1.5, or that'd be 1 over 3. Thus, uh, if we're facing a pot bet on the river, we should be folding 33% of our range that did make it to the river, which uh, these two equations are really cool because that starts to give you, instead of you, like you get on the river, you feel like it's always like, I feel like this guy bluffs too much or I feel like this guy doesn't bluff enough. Now we can actually quantify it in a number of just how much is bluffing too often or just how often is not bluffing enough. And it really makes it easier so if you're facing a half half pot bet on the river against a guy that you think is a maniac instead of saying that we should be folding 33 percent of our range we downgrade that to less than 33 percent whereas if we're playing a knit rock who bets half pot on the river knowing with 33 percent is our baseline we can be like well maybe we should be folding 50 or 60 percent of our range of hands that we made it to the river with just that's all all pretty cool make taking a little bit of the guesswork out of out of your game and making things a slightly more precise which I realize even still where we are we are throwing uh, throwing our best guesses at whether we think they're playing close to optimal but it also helps us then try to play a little more close to game theory optimal ourselves which then all this is worthless without understanding Understanding what range of hands you can have in spots and where specific individual hands rank in within your range. Because all that stuff about folding 33% of your range or whatever is worthless. If you don't know what what an individual hand is, if it's in that 66% you should call or in the 33% you should fold, which that brings me to my third thing that I think the poker program called Combinator is c-o-m-b-o-n-a-t-o-r is a fantastic awesome program that can really help you piece those two equations together into an understanding of where range stands on different boards and what hands you might have or even pre-flop too when trying to construct a pre-flop three betting range and knowing which of those hands you're going to fold to a four bet and trying to keep things balanced it it's a really fantastic tool that I'd recommend you play around with to, to get a strong understanding. And then another program that I like is Poker Stove, which is a simpler version of Combinator. I'd say is the easiest way to describe it. But you can put, with that, you can put ranges of hands and see what equity they have on specific boards. Or, and, or you can even put five different players with hand ranges and see what each player's range of hands, how much equity that player has with their entire range, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a, it's a fun tool too, especially if you just want to play with, play with, I have pocket eights preflop and I think that they might move all in with all these hands. 
let's see how much equity pocket eights has against these hands it's just the more you play with all these kind of tools the better better you're going to be live in person at guessing how how you're faring in different different spots so i'm probably uh, getting about long enough here i you know, i threw a lot at you guys but really i recommend you you take a peek at some of the ideas i just talked about and until next time this is uh mike schneider have a fantastic day Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. While I can certainly appreciate the desire to have a framework for an overall strategy heading into a tournament, I think that one of the biggest keys to success is adaptability. Every hand presents a different and unique opportunity or situation. If you go into a tournament with a set strategy, it may prove early on to be the wrong tactic and you can find yourself either out of the tournament or struggling to adapt. Having said that, I think the best strategy heading into a tournament is to focus early on observing your opponents. Watch for different opening bet size amounts, do they play differently based on position, uh, just playing the cards that they're dealt, uh, they're distracted by anything, you know, watching something on TV or their phone, uh, etc. Um, I also generally like to play a lot of pots early, especially cheap. Uh, this gives me a unique perspective as to how people are playing, uh, but also sets a little bit of a tone uh, to those that are paying attention uh, that I'm a little looser of a player. As I am observing, I pay attention to those players that are picking up on my loose play. This then allows me to use that image to my benefit and to know which tools in my bag will be most beneficial against this set of opponents. Sometimes this also leads to building a large stack early, uh, which opens up a whole new set of tools uh, to use at my disposal. What I find is also helpful is to go into a tournament with a specific tool you want to improve upon or look for opportunities to try new things that you've learned or focus on a particular leak. Often it is much better to not have an overarching strategy, but just some things that you would like to work on if the situation presents itself. Some things don't even necessarily require the right situations, like wanting to work on uh, observing your opponent's behaviors or thinking about hand ranges of opponents uh, when not in a hand, etc. At the end of the day, poker is a game about adaptability and having all the tools to be able to play accordingly for any situation. Poker is also an ever-evolving game, which means your tools need to evolve as well. Greetings, Rec Poker listeners. This is Taylor Moss. Today we're talking about our overall no-limit poker strategy, of which I think that's a very tough question to answer uh, because if we're playing our top game, every time our strategy should be very different. It should be very player-dependent, tournament-dependent, um, and also like situationally-dependent. And unfortunately, that's not really the answer we want to get here. Um, but as we look into what is a general overall strategy for the game, I think the most important thing is to have a sound preflop range. Um, by that, I mean in each position that you play, you should know whether you're going to be opening, calling, raising, all those different types of things uh, before you get into a hand. Uh, it just takes one decision out of your game because you already know what you're going to be doing uh, when you're dealt certain cards. 
Uh, after that, I think everything kind of goes out the window in terms of an overall approach because there's no set rules that say if you flop top pair, top kicker, you have to call two streets of value but not three streets of value. Um, and if you flop an open-ended straight draw, you should call this street but not you know, this street. And it, it makes it everything makes it so that every answer is it depends um but as we get back to the pre-flop range the other thing that is very important is having a sound mindset of knowing what tournament you're playing uh, so when you're w walking in do you know is this a fast structure or a slow structure how many big blinds do i have how many big blinds will I have after one hour, two hours, if I don't chip up, if I do chip up, or if you know I start losing parts of my stack, and how am I going to react to those different situations? So if I get down to 15 big blinds after an hour of play, uh, do I need to worry about this? Do I need to start playing a little bit looser? Or am I going to be perfectly fine because of the structure? Likewise, if we get towards the bubble, how am I going to react in different situations? If I'm a short stack, how am I going to play the bubble? If I'm a medium stack or if I'm a big stack? Because if you have those overall thoughts in your head, you can kind of go back to them as you're playing the tournament and, you know, every orbit or so, just take a break and think about where you're at. How many big blinds do I have? What is the stage of the tournament? And what is my overall game plan for this? Am I going to be playing more aggressive, less aggressive? Um, am I going to be attacking in certain spots? And that can kind of help set an overall framework. But again, there's just no way to say, yes, this is the blueprint for winning poker because every situation is different. Um, so again, this is another answer where it depends. Hey, Rec Poker listeners, this is Steve O. Uh, this week's question is asking about, you know, do we have an overall approach to winning poker tournaments? And how would you advise a new player in coming up with a strategy? Uh, it's a very big topic, but here goes. The truth of it is my strategy it changes depending upon the buy-in of the tournament and it'll also change during the tournament, even, you know, depending upon who's coming and going from my table. It's it's a pretty fluid and it's a pretty dynamic approach. You know, that said, you know, in a $30 buy-in with 12-minute blinds, you're going to make one orbit per level if the table is full. You just don't have the luxury of waiting around for premium hands because the blinds are just coming around too fast. You know, if I'm playing a WSOP event with hour-long blinds, I'm willing to be far more patient. Um, and like I said, the moral of the story is, is you've got to be flexible and you've got to be willing to adjust on the fly if need be. That said, I do think there are some some overall strategies I like to implement or things I like to stick to. Um and, you know, I'll, they'll, they'll apply to all different levels of tournament play. One, um, be at your best mentally. If you're under the weather, if you're distracted, you know, due to a personal issue at home or a work issue that's, you know, weighing on yourself, you know, it might make sense to skip playing that day and make sure you're 100%. Uh, two, pay attention. Figure out who your opponents are and how they're playing. Figure out who the rocks are and avoid them unless you've got the goods. Figure out who the calling stations are. Figure out who the two-card bluffers are because, you know, those two players, that's where your chips are going to come from. 
another thing I like to do is mentally try and put everyone on a hand when I'm when I fold and I'm just an observer in that hand. It's a great way to stay engaged and to sharpen your skills because um, you know this is all about trying to get better as we go along. Three, be patient and play from position as much as possible. This is especially true for new players. I like to keep my decisions to a, uh, my hard decisions to a minimum. And if you're constantly playing out of position, you're going to be faced with one hard decision after another, and you'll be playing suboptimally. Um, and when you're playing a daily tournament, and it's going to be done in five hours. You only get to make so many wrong decisions. For and also continuing this narrative of keeping hard decisions to a minimum, I play trap hands very carefully. And you know, an advice, especially for new players, I would say stay away from them as much as possible. Um, one way to do this is only play them suited and only play them from position. Uh, I tend to play pretty tight during the rebuy period and then slowly and methodically ramp up my aggression as the tournament goes on. If I make the final table, I try to be the most aggressive player on the table. As your goal really should be the top three. And as Vanessa Selps once said, you won't see very many min caches on my resume. Six, always be willing to learn. What are the best players on your table doing and how are they doing it? Also, after I get knocked out, I always reflect on that tournament and I think about what I did right, what I did wrong, and I try to learn from the experience. You know, once it go, it just goes back to always trying to improve. And then seven, stay within your comfort zone. We always want to play as optimally as possible, and doing things we're not comfortable doing is just a recipe for failure. Uh, you know, I think I'll leave uh, the podcast day with, just a co- with a quote from one of my favorite players, something to really think about, uh, Daniel Negrano, and he said, you know, when he said, if you play like everyone else, you'll be destined to break even. Uh, I guess breaking even is better than losing, but it's certainly, uh, it's not our goal in the long run. Uh, hopefully this has been of some help. Good luck at the tables this week and take care. Bye-bye. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to Jonathan and Mike. Thanks to Brian, Taylor, and Steve as well. Uh, Thanks to all of you folks who have been encouraging and sending notes and uh, with suggestions. I'm super excited about where we're going. I think this has been a a great format. Uh, We do have a little bit of a shift coming up for next week and the few weeks that are following. Uh, Next week, we'll have uh, an interview with Matt Berkey. And we've got some additional interviews lined up after that. So uh, we'll sort of transition into a few episodes where we're going to be going one-on-one with some of the, some of the great players that are out there and picking their brains on some things. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. So uh, share this with other folks. Uh, like it. Uh, leave a comment. Uh, wear a patch. Uh, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, or feel free to just email me, stevefredland at gmail.com. And I love getting emails uh, of encouragement and suggestions and how we can make this thing better. Uh, all feedback is good feedback. I'm always looking for, uh, for interacting with you all at a little bit uh, deeper level. So with that, uh, we will chat next week. Thanks. Thanks.